Hello and welcome to the Canny Fit Real Talk. I am Lindsay Johnson and on today's podcast I'm going to be talking about racing. I'm going to be talking about my experience um, racing. I've got a request through that people would like to hear more um, of my thoughts and my sort of uh, experiences with racing in the canny cross and sled dog world. So um, I have been racing at sled dog and canny cross events for um, a little over 11 years now. I have competed in canny cross being my main category, being my main class. That's my first love. I've competed in, in that. Two dog scooter and bike drawer. I've done a little bit of one dog scooter, uh, but my, my dogs are quite small, so they, they, they tend to suit the two dog scooter better, where you can uh, they can fly as a team. Uh, I have competed at lots of local races, lots of you know, fun races. I've competed at world championship level, European championship level and national championship level. Even when back in the day it was just Scottish, but now it's a, a, it's a British um, championship level. So in the UK we have the BSSF, which is the British Sled Dog Sport Federation, and they are the organisation who host our national championships uh, and in order to compete for Team GB and to race abroad you would have to be a BSSF member and qualify with um, the BSSF um, not, not just to um, do all events abroad but do any sort of sanctioned um, official races uh, and abroad we have the IFSS so, sorry, national uh, Worldwide, we have the IFSS, which is the International Federation of Sled Dog Sports, and they host World European Championship uh, sled dog events on snow and on dry land. Now, Canny Cross would be classed as a dry land race. We also have the ICF, which is the International Canny Cross Federation, and they host um, championships across Europe for Canny Cross and Bike Jaw, and they've recently introduced One Dog Scooter. So they concentrate on a, what you would call mono discipline, which is one dog per class. Okay, so hope that gives you a little bit of insight. Um, now, I'm guessing that people want to hear like, about the nitty gritty and about my experience of racing abroad. So I have raced, um, I've raced all over the UK, uh, you know, right up north in Elgin to way down, down south and in Wales and different parts of England and Scotland. So I've raced um, all across the UK and I've raced in France, I have raced in Italy, I have raced in Switzerland and I have raced in Poland. Um, and it's been fantastic experience um it's definitely been uh, memorable experiences that i've learned loads i've had you know great memories and not so great memories but the not so great um memories have always been turned into great learning experiences so they're not racing abroad isn't something that anyone should just take lightly i wouldn't um I wouldn't class it the same as, you know, just going away for a fun holiday and popping up to a race and it's going to be similar to, you know, races, local races, canny cross races that you've done. It's not really like that, especially if you're competing at world or European championship level. This, it's a huge expense. So you've got a lot of hidden expenses that you don't really realise to begin with and I'm quite happy to, to talk over them. You've obviously got the expense of 
your race entry fee. You've got the expense of your travel. Your If you're going from the UK, it's going to be Eurotunnel or boat. You've got your fuel expense. And then obviously you, you have to pay for the dogs to get across. You're going to have expense in toll roads. You're going to have your accommodation expenses, food, whatnot. And then on top of that, you've not just got a race entry fee. You're going to need to be a member of your uh, federation, the BSSF. You will also need a, a race driving license for some events. And you will need insurance as well. And then you've got the dog passports. Now, I don't know how to advise about the dog passports now, thanks to fucking Brexit. Um, but, um, you know, obviously I travelled before Brexit. Uh, and the dogs had to have rabies, their, their annual you know, um, inoculations. And race sites will request your dog to be kennel coughed, um, have a recent kennel cough vaccination as well. You don't require that for travelling, but you'll require that for the race sites. And I think that will go for any dog that you're travelling, even if they're not competing. They'll have to uh, have kennel cough vaccinations. So now it's different because of Brexit. I think it's a lot more expensive and it's uh, a lot more time consuming because you have to get blood tests to make sure that the rabies uh, vaccination uh, is at a certain level. So I don't know a lot about it because it's not been on my agenda to travel abroad recently. And that's one of the reasons why. So whatever expense that we had for the passports and the JAGs and, you know, everything else, it's going to be more and it's a bit more time consuming now. And that's something you definitely need to look into. You've also got your expense of your kit because you're going to probably go through different belts, harnesses, lines, etc. Um, and trainers, like numerous pairs of trainers. Uh, and, you know, and that's just if you're doing candy cross, if you're doing bike jaw, and then it's even more expense because you're probably going to want two bikes depending on the course, different size of wheels, tyres, you know, you name it, all the fancy bits that's going to help you get through certain terrain or make the bike lighter and so on. So, you you know, you've got all these things to um, to factor in. And then another thing that people may forget is you have a year beforehand to pay for for qualifying races. So you have to qualify, you would really need to attend three of the qualifying races, which would be Scotland, Wales and England, in order, you know, to um, get a place. There's only limited places, so you, you need to qualify. So you're going to need to train hard throughout that year and um, attend these events across the UK. So that's huge expense for all those three events as well. So it's not just a case of, I'm just going to go abroad and I'll take maybe two or three weeks off of work. You're talking about, it's a year, a minimum of a year beforehand in planning to do these type of races. Now, if you're racing at Euro or World Championship level, um, it's not it's not like a fun local race, but it's just like all abilities are welcome. It really is, you know, the best of each country that's there competing for their country so you're requiring you know putting a lot of blood sweat and tear training in and you know giving the best food the best care for your dog and you really say goodbye to a lot of things for the year on the run-up there's a lot of sacrifices now I've done a lot of Euro and World Championships and really dedicated you know, a good, you know, at least seven to eight months of just focusing on that race and training for that race. And everything was, all you heard out of my mouth was, oh, I can't do that. I've got the World Championships after, after the European Championships. Oh, no, I, I can't go out for that meal, you know, constantly watching what I'm eating or, you know, having to, 
go to races and always wanted to keep topping myself up with races so I was getting the race experience and getting my dogs the race experience and you know thriving to get better and to see what what sort of times and performance other people out there were doing so I knew where I was at so it really you know for a good I don't know maybe you know four or five years that was like a big focus um of my life was just focusing on on these events and that was great I really enjoyed it I enjoyed that focus but you know other things in life come along and and certainly for me I like to like focus on other things so it's it's not one of these races that you just do half-heartedly you really want to put your all you're all into it okay so I want to burst the myth that it's like going on a holiday and it's amazing because you get to see different parts of the world. Now, I'm sure there'll be people down south, especially, that's listening to this and going, yeah, it is. You know, I get to see you know, all these parts of the world. They're, you know, they may have like a wider spare cash, unlike us, you know, miserable Scots up here. However, every time I've been abroad, the only fucking part of the world you get to see is motorways and service stations eh, or autobahns. Sorry, my phone cut off. So yes, you get to see lovely parts of um, service stations and uh, motorways. And you tend to know that you're in Germany because the service station tends to be really sparkling clean and uh, you get lots of hot dogs uh, on offer. Then you know, you know, two hours later, you're still in parts of France or so because the service station is absolutely stinking of piss and the food choice is not quite as good um, yeah so I think if you want to see part of the world you're going to really need to factor in more time and you really are probably talking about factoring in a minimum of um, two weeks all in all you want to get to the race site at least sort of three days before for your event to get ready, acclimatise, let the dogs settle, let them rest from the travel and so on. And the travel can often take a lot longer than you expect. Now, people will look up Google Maps and say, oh, it's only 10 hours away. Now, you've got to factor in the timing that your boat will get in, you know, and what time of day that is, because you obviously, you know, can't drive through night. You do need to sleep. And a big factor that gets missed often is um, watering and walking the dogs. So if it says it's a 10-hour drive, it's likely going to be 20 hours. You're going to have to make sure that the dogs are hydrated because the travelling will stress them out, will dehydrate them, will dehydrate them. So you're going to need to make sure that they're watered and they're hydrated every couple of hours. And then that will require you stopping an hour to two hours after to walk them and let them do the toilet you know because that water will be coming out of them so if you're racing at a high level and you've got this elite athlete which is your dog you you really want to make sure that they're really well hydrated and especially if you're going to countries that have got a hotter climate than what we do and that's quite common I would say you know certainly France and Italy, the time of year, October, it was still really warm and humid and we had been training in quite cool um, temperatures. The dogs were used to that, so we're wanting them to give their best and making sure they're going to go into a warmer climate, we're going to really need to um, up their, their water intake. And the folks that do just put the boot down and just get there and don't stop off, you know their dog care is pretty shit. So if your dog care is good, it's going to take you even longer because the dogs can't be crammed in a cage. They need to be moving about, you know, getting their, the blood circulating because it's, it's a long time travelling for them. So you want to make everything as comfortable as possible and making sure they're, 
they're not stiffening up and tired, you know, and stressed out, dehydrated before they get to the race site. So these are things that you really do uh, need to consider also. And also how you travel your dog. You know, if you're somebody that's just got a car and they sit in the back seat or they sit in a big empty boot, that's really not going to cut it. Um, a lot of race sites actually wouldn't, would actually disqualify you and wouldn't allow you on the site if um, how you travel a dog um, is in part of uh, the rules with some um, federations. I think the IFSS, you have, your dogs have to be travelled safely, which would be a crate or a cage, and it, they should be uh, a certain size, a size where the dog can stand up and they have coverage uh, where they can stand and they can turn. So, you know, some people do have these tiny little boxes and they cram two to three dogs in these boxes to make more room for other things in their van or, you know, to get more dogs in. And that, if you are, your uh, dog care, the welfare is checked by a welfare officer, um, you can, you know, be fined or, I don't know, find, you know, maybe disqualified or uh, or warned anyway, which is good. That's a great thing because it is, uh, that is a really important part of welfare if these dogs are going to be travelling for a long time, they don't have the freedom like us to move around, uh, they should be able to stand up and turn around in their box or stretch their legs out. So yes, if you're, they're just in a boot which isn't uh, necessarily safe, or they don't feel comfortable, or if they're just in a back seat, that's something you're going to want to um, maybe consider getting a, a crate for them that's a good size. Yeah, so time away. You know, for me, it was like a minimum of two weeks away. And that's two weeks away from, from my son. It was two weeks away from work. Obviously, I work for myself. You know, I'm not making money. So it's all, I was, you're talking a minimum for me anyway. And I would always do it, you know, as cheap as possible. You're a, I was a minimum of just running with one dog in Canny Cross, £2,000 to get over. So it was the price of a fancy holiday in the sun. And if you're not making huge amounts of money, um, you know, like myself, I certainly wasn't. And then that was me sacrificing that summer holiday or a holiday away. Uh, so at the time, I think I only really went away twice since I had Evan. And once was in the UK. The BSSF hosted a, a race in England. So took a ca the caravan down and took Evan uh, with us. So that was great. He was part of it, which was fantastic. And it wasn't as expensive because obviously it was in the UK. But the other the time was my last race, which was Poland, and that was the World Championships. And I felt like this, to me, just wasn't fair. I, I was leaving him at home, not seeing him for two weeks, which is difficult enough as a mum. Um, but also that money could have been spent on a holiday or, you know, memories with him. And I didn't, I didn't have the money to do that and do a holiday. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's a, a definitely was a negative for me being a mum. I had mum guilt for that, that's for sure. Um, so, yes, the time away and obviously time away not working. So if I'm not working, I'm not earning money. So that's another another factor, uh, you know, to consider. So as you can tell, it's been a lot of negatives, um, but it's I really wanted to do it, you know. So I sacrificed a lot. I really did sacrifice a lot. It's fantastic, the road trips. I've went away, you know, with my pal Danny. I did all, all these events with him and I've got amazing memories, uh, you know, and formed a really good friendship and other people along the way travelled with us and I've got just the funniest memories of different things that happened and, 
you know, different events. And there was little quabbles and fallouts, but it really did bring you closer. You always felt like a strong, stronger connection to the people that I had travelled with. You always feel like there's that sort of kind of unspoken bond, um, even if you don't see the person for a, for a long time, because you spent so much time, you know, confined in a van uh, travelling. You've got no choice but to, you know, to talk real and, uh, you know, get to know each other, which um, for me is fantastic. I do really enjoy that that opportunity and you've got to pick your travel pals well you've got to know that you work well together traveling that you know you're both sort of on the same wavelength and for me and Danny it was great we always you know never a cross word between the pair of us we were always happy you know get each other coffee and sweets at the the service station and we were always on a a diet on the way out and 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 on the way back it was always stopping at every mcdonald's and every bad food that you could get that were ramming down our our foods uh, the ramming down our throats and we you know i would just go along with you know whatever plans i was uh, that that he had uh, i I didn't mind and our dogs got on so that really worked out well i dare say you travel with someone who's neurotic or you know, they have their own certain way of doing things and, you know, it, it would make uh, the trip hell. So make sure that you, you've got an insight that you you both can get on uh, with each other. That That is a definite must. So once you, um, once you get there, what the event is like, it's, it's really, it's like nothing else. You're, if you've ever been to a sled dog event in the UK, it's like that times 10. There's, you know, like thousands of competitors there and God knows how many dogs. So the noise of these excited dogs all staked out in the stakeout area is, you know, is amazing. It's just like it's deafening, but it is really exciting. These dogs are so excited and all these athletes are so excited. And you're seeing all these athletes and mushers um, from all over the world, which is just phenomenal. And it's just such an amazing opportunity. You get to learn so much from these people um, and you get to uh, make friends across the world, which is, again, it's an amazing opportunity. And I, I've made some really great friends and uh, great connections and I've learned so much. You learn, you know, what other people are doing, how they're training, what equipment they're using, um, you know, what lineage of dogs, what different breeds of dogs people are using. And you get to meet their dogs in person. You get to see how they interact. You get to see how they, you know, their their dog care, their preparation, you know, how they warm their dogs up and get to watch them on the start line coming in. Or if you're lucky enough to get out in parts of the trail, you can see them in action. And that's, you know, that that is that that is for me, that was all worth it. That was all worth it, those sacrifices that I felt like I learned so much. I also felt like I learned from a lot of negatives because you don't go abroad and you think that everyone, you know, from these, you know, exotic countries are doing it better than us mere folk in Scotland. A lot of times, and I mean a lot of times, I would see people doing things and I thought, fuck, we're doing it good. And, and, you know, and you feel like, I'm glad I don't do it that way. And you feel like, wow, you know, we're actually, you know, we are... We don't. We're on track here. We're doing. We're doing something good, or we're we're doing the right thing. And you know, it's good to it's good to get that bit of um, confirmation that um, you've you know you feel like you're you're training your dog probably in a more positive light than some. So there's um, good to be taken out of some of the negative. You don't see a whole lot of negative, to be honest. You know, majority of of these people are all you know real big dog lovers, and dog welfare is 
um, a, a huge factor at these events. So it's just small things that you might think, you know, if they maybe did it that way, it would be kinder. And you know, I'm glad that that I do it that way. But um, yeah, you get to you get to learn learn lots and to see that the UK for once normally, you know, if it's a Olympics or football, the UK doesn't tend to to do that that great with some some events but when sled dog sports um, some of the UK athletes do fantastic so that's also makes you feel pretty proud to be part of <sighs> yeah so you've got a lot of business and it's really important that your dog can emotionally cope with that atmosphere the atmosphere is the energy level is high the dogs are staked out there's not a lot of room to pass so when you're walking your dog, you need to make sure they can pass, you know, busy flags that are flapping, uh, tape, uh, big, you know, lines of dogs staked out who will be barking, people, vans, etc. Um, you know, speakers blaring. So there's a lot of sensory overload, and a lot of sled dogs are quite nervous and can be, you know, um, quite freaky. So that can be quite difficult to, and you know, like get them through these crowds but if your dog hasn't been exposed to anything like that they're not going to it's not going to be enjoyable for them so you need to make sure that they're not only physically fit before the event but they're mentally fit and able to cope um you know with that environment you at times you could be standing uh, waiting for a long time with the dog for so for vet checks your dog will have to be vet checked and they'll have to be handled by a vet so that's another thing that your dog um, will have to be people friendly and be able to allow a vet, a stranger to handle them, to check over that they're fit and well and healthy. Um, also to be scanned and check their microchip number. And before your event starts, and it really depends on, on the event, on the organisation set up, you could be in a waiting area by yourself because canny crossers are not allowed handlers so you have to be able to handle your dog by yourself if you can't handle your dog at start line and then you know forget it like you have to be able to make sure your dog doesn't get out its harness and you can control it by yourself and you could be waiting you know 15 minutes up to half an hour in a, in a start line while your dog's watching the th- and listening over the tannoy to the three two one go and watching everyone start so you need to know that you can control your dog and keep them cam um so there's a lot of people struggle with that and that's something that you know they perhaps haven't practiced that they know that the dog can give it all out in the field but they struggle and they can't control the dog at the start and that's something that you really need to work on before you get there because what you don't want is you know the dog overexerting itself or you know turning you know being too much turn that stress into aggression or worse than escaping breaking equipment and you know getting loose yeah, so these are things that you need to consider. So your stress levels are high and so are the dogs. It's the biggest competition of your life. So you're going to really need lots of different skills up your sleeve in order you know, to work through an organisation. You need to make sure you're organised. You're going to need to be there all day. You need to know your timing's exact. You need to know how long it's going to take you to warm up to go to the toilet, to get your dog sorted, make sure that your chip is on, make sure that the bib is on. How long does it take you to get from the van to the start line? Uh, What is your start time? How long do you need to be there before your start time? So you really need to break everything down into half hour uh, segments or even less and have your day, you know, like really scheduled to a T and make sure that, that you're sticking to that. So 
That's where all the previous race experience comes in and having your race routine handy and, you know, getting used to that sort of preparation and then taking it to the next level when you go to these bigger events and knowing how uh, how they run and how things work. Is, is crucial because you can't get there and just go, well, I didn't know because there's nobody there to hold your hand. You have to, uh, you know, learn these things yourself. So, yes, it's very exciting. Often, depending on the time of year, a lot of the events can be ran in October and depending on the country, it tends to be fucking raining for like 89 years before you get there. And because of the type of trails that we use for sled dog events, it's all natural, soft ground, uh, um, and with the amount of rain for the time of year and obviously the current climate that we live in these trails are not used to the volume of people going round them and now everyone breaks the rails and goes round and round the track constantly before the race is uh, done to practice their, you know, their lines taking their dogs round, taking their bikes round and before you know it, it's a fucking quagmire and nine times out of ten I think there's very few courses like Sweden, the, the course in uh, in Canada as well that um, you know it's not a quagmire that the, the te- I think it's purpose built and it's sand tracks everything else is just it's just like mud like mud glorious mud and we're all like oh we're used to mud in the UK but sometimes it gets to the point it's mud that's you know pretty dangerous and not that fun to run in and a lot of dogs you know don't enjoy pulling in it because it can be quite slippy and quite thick and I really feel for the guys on the wheels because a lot of the courses you often hear people complaining it's unsafe and, and a lot of the times it is unsafe and it's not because the venue or the race organizers have designed something unsafe it's just because the nature of the weather and how the trail has just been churned up and just the texture of the trail can make it un, uh, you know pretty unsafe it just takes a couple of tree roots to be under thick mud and you know that's somebody who's on track to be the world champion in bike jaw for their, their tire to get a puncture or for the bike to be flung up in the air and and you know collarbones are shattered or, or whatever and for me you really need to be able to have the skills to cope with that type of terrain um because it's it, nine times out of ten like i said it can be pretty hairy scary so as much as I love and I've, I've you know I've done well at national um, level and bike jorn to dog scooter world championship Euro, European championship that's not for me because I don't have the skill set and I don't enjoy it and even at Canny Cross sometimes you're like oh Jesus that that was tough that was really hard it doesn't it's never like flat out running it's always really requires a lot of skill now, the last race that i done, which was uh, Poland, it was the World Championships. For me, I had a great time travelling, like I said, and meeting other people and stayed in a nice hotel. But for me, the event itself was a big disappointment. And uh, for various reasons, personal reasons, um, and I decided after that to give myself a break from these big events. You know, like I said, I felt like I was too much time away and money spent on things that could be spent on time with Evan um, and time away from him that I thought, right, I've not enjoyed that, so why why am I doing it? So I thought, I'm going to take a break. And never say never, I would love to return one day, but um, when the time is right for me, and right now that time isn't right, I didn't feel like it warranted um, everything that I put into it. So I felt like it, like it was a disappointment because we arrived and it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't exactly 
nice scenery, certainly not as nice as what we have here in Scotland or anything I've seen in the UK or other countries. It wasn't horrible, but it was just it was quite boring. It was quite a boring forest. The stakeout was a big field, which was the most disgusting quagmire. You had to walk around a mile to get to the start line from the stakeout and you were literally just in water and mud um, all day. It rained the whole time and the conditions were just disgusting. They were really miserable, really damp. Everything was thick with wet mud. You just couldn't get the mud off you and it just, it wasn't pleasant. You didn't want to stand out and socialise. So it literally put a dampener on things. Now, because of the weather and because of what I spoke about before with the, the terrain, you know, getting churned up and being quite dangerous, the organisers had to um, cut the courses, had to shorten the courses. So I kept the bike jog it shortened, you know, all the way down from what may have been, you know, say, for example, four to five miles, it gets shortened down to perhaps three miles uh, because the the mud was just it was un, was unsafe, so they had to take parts of the course off. Now the Canny Cross course was around two point two miles, so we literally travelled God knows how many miles to Poland, to the deepest, darkest woods in Poland. You know, I felt like it was in a van for two weeks to run at, in total just over four miles. It was, and for me. I felt like it, that's not a, a, a fair playing field for a world championship because if you've got a massive 40, 45 kilo, kilogram grey star that is just running eyeballs out, you've got like a half decent runner behind them, that, you know, the short courses are going to favour to people like that. Yes, they still have to have a lot of fitness and a lot of skill, but the people that are, are running with dogs that are not as big or not as you know as flat out the distance sometimes would uh, level the playing field out so you know if they've got a better endurance uh, you would tend to see a totally different uh, set of results if it was three miles or over um, I could just be biased <laughs> because the short distances I'm not great at my dogs are not massive compared to the dogs in Europe and I, I'm not an extremely fast runner um, I know a lot of people will think I'm fast but compared to the girls that are racing at this level I'm not you know they can do some real crazy high explosive speeds over a short distance uh, I'm very consistent and I can sort of keep a decent pace consistently through for three to four miles uh, and so can my dogs so for me uh, I, I didn't feel like it was a, a fair uh, playing field However, the biggest uh, disappointment for me was my dog didn't enjoy it. So I ran with local um, uh, at the time was my, one of my youngest dogs. And he, I, I did all the training that I thought I could do with him. I gave him a lot of race exposure. I took him to park runs and trained with him in the parks and at classes, etc., etc. But he doesn't like crowds of people. And we've always known that. But at races, it's never been an issue. However, he tends to race. Um, with his brother in two dog scooter so he gets the confidence uh, from another dog being there during the, the course the worst part of the course which was about a kilometer from the finish line you were going through a, a twisty forest section where the mud was just so vile and it, the, the, the ground was really rutted and it was very uneven and it was causing a lot of people to fall off and there was a lot of people falling uh, not making it through so spectators decided to walk to this section to watch it now this section was way you know off track and um, again was was in the woods 
and it wasn't, you know, where you would expect to see a marshal or a photographer. Now, during the, uh, the events, you will see marshals, uh, you will see photographers, and, the, you know, my dogs are, are fine, they're used to that. But as Loco approached this uh, section of the wood with all these spectators who are standing with their hoods up because it's raining and standing, you know, in the woods, he freaked out. He wasn't used to it and he freaked out, but also the ground was disgusting. He didn't want to pull, he couldn't get a grip. It was a real thick, wet, gloopy mud. So he kind of freaked out, he didn't really enjoy the surface and he just basically pulled pulled up. He just basically ran beside me or just in front of me and then didn't pull at all to the finish line. So we had a kilometre of free running, which was really, really tough. You know, the nerves get the better of you. You're, I'm massively disappointed because I feel like the dog, you know, wow, I'm at a world championship and he's not pulling. I'm used to, you know, my dog's giving it all and, and especially knowing it's such a short distance that I don't have another, you know, mile or whatever to make it up, uh, you know, for him to gain his confidence back. You know, it's meant to be, you know, eyeballs out in your fastest uh, time um, with that sort of mileage. So came in the first day and I felt really quite uh, deflated. I felt, uh, you know, had I not done something right, uh, you know, was there, you know, or was this event just not right for the dog? You know, he should stick to maybe two dog scooter, you know, did or did I not expose him in the right way? So much thing was going through my head and I was just sort of beating myself up about it and feeling quite flat. Now, on top of that, the Team GB spirit, it never, it has been that great. It's always been a bit flat. It's, it's always a small group. I think it's getting better now. It's getting bigger. There's newer people and people are more excited and coming together. And I think the recent years, it, it looks like it's been much better. But back then, it never was that, that great. It was a small group of people who would break into their own sort of cliques and groups and tended to want to compete against each other. So people weren't very supportive, not everyone, but there were certain folk not very supportive or friendly and were quite happy to see you fail. So you always had that in the back of your mind and you would feel a bit shit, you know, uh, thinking, you know, I've not, I've not done so great out here. Um, and you would, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not feeling your best. So the second day I thought, well, he knows what it is. He knows it came to no harm. Maybe, you know, it'll be better. And we ran as hard as we could, you know, for the first mile and a bit. And again, just approaching that section of the woods, he just anticipated where the people were and he pulled up even sooner and still didn't, you know, uh, pull out uh, through the finish line. So the second day, I reckon our run was probably a little bit slower. And the girl behind, she didn't um, overtake us, but she managed to make up time. She obviously ran faster. Uh, and as we slowed down, our dog was approaching quicker and she was getting a, a better toe towards us. And we lost, I think, maybe one or two places. I managed to finish um, the fastest GB athlete in our um, class uh, in quite, quite a respective time, but I just wasn't happy. And it wasn't about being the fastest GB athlete or, or, or beating anyone. It was about doing uh, justice to, to my training and to my dog. And I didn't do that. You know, we were running really good times in training. We were running for that mileage and, you know, that course that was as flat as that. We should have been doing a, like a sub five minute mile uh, average or just a low five minute mile average. And we came in about 5.16 to 5.20 minute mile, which um, wasn't great. It was adding a lot of time on to so, 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 such a short distance. 
it wasn't the end of the world but I just felt like it wasn't worth it so for me it was like what's the point what's the point of you know that's been about two years hard in training sacrificing the things that I have the money that I've spent to come over here I've not enjoyed the atmosphere I've not enjoyed the venue I haven't enjoyed the course I haven't enjoyed the distance and it would appear that my dog didn't enjoy the race either so for me the sensible thing was not to you know try and assert blame there wasn't anything or anyone to blame and just accept that like that just wasn't worth it for me so take a break take take a step back uh, and that that's what I done and I just focused on other things I focused on um doing bite jaw I, I focused on building my strength up I, I focused you know on my business and you know that's really um flourished uh, from that so you know, I've just uh, looked for other things. But I, I dare say I would love to go back one day and I would love to go back with Evan. I would love for him to have the have the experience. So it's not a write-off yet, but that was just my uh, my experience on my last event that I felt it was a sign uh, to take a bit of a break. So since then, I've still been racing. I've been doing sort of local races uh, and doing sort of national races. uh, And I've really enjoyed finding trail races that are just like a human-based trail race that that welcome canny crossers. And I've really found that I've went back to my roots with that sort of thing, like doing these trail events. They're not competitive because I'm running with a dog and the majority aren't. So, you know, I'm not in competition with people, but it's... It's the real sort of adventure terrain that I love. It's the type of stuff that I train on, you know, out um, on the hills, out on real cross-country courses or sort of real types of trails and, you know, more challenging um, terrain, more challenging uh, climbs, I suppose, and uh, a little bit more challenging distances, you know, sort of 10 kilometres and up and running, um, you know, with people that probably haven't seen... um, somebody running in canny cross and then being really impressed by it or being really supportive to it and that's really uh, I've really enjoyed doing that sort of thing it's been a really great uh, day out and it's just one day I would do my normal type of training in the hills and uh, and I'd also get to race my little dog Mo now she's not really up for racing canny cross uh, at sprint level she doesn't really like to she likes to trot in canny cross she does all my classes with me because she's nice and light and doesn't pull me hard but doing these types of trail hill runs she's perfect because she's giving me light assistance so it's making it more fun it's making it more enjoyable but she's not overpowering me uh, and I'm not running you know at all out flat out speed so I've really loved being able to take her to these events and include her um, in my canny cross race, although she always races in the scooter with me. Um, I've enjoyed that. So Scotland really lacks these trail-friendly, uh, canny cross-friendly races. There's lots in England and lots in Wales. Uh, I've found one or two in Scotland. We've got a local one, the Hillbilly, who are amazing and they're so inclusive and so welcoming that they um, have opened up a category and called it canny fit I think because I'm local they think canny fit is the sport which is fantastic which I love that's fine they can brand it that way I'm more than happy Um, and it's a real good fun event obviously not ran this year due to Covid but Scotland does um, really lack some inclusive trail events and we've got the you know the, the landscape for it we've got the people willing to do it so hopefully uh, post-COVID there'll be more people along listening to this pod- podcast and opening up more dog-friendly trail events because your business is uh, sitting waiting for you. 
There is canny cross races in Scotland. There's the sled dog, there's Sedas, the Sled Dog Association of Scotland, and there's Canny Sports Scotland. I've ran events myself for the past 10 years with the Canny Fit Experience and Rough Dugger. And I am no longer running these. You may have seen on social media that I'm selling the business. Uh, and I'm not selling it due to COVID, which everyone thinks. Uh, it's, it's not. It's personal reasons that I'm selling it and I'm wanting to move on. And I think whoever uh, snaps up the chance of buying this event company off of me uh, are not going to know what's hit them because come 2022, all these posts, all these lockdown puppies um, are, are going to want events to go to and also all the people who were already racing and, uh, and going to events which there was lots of, are going to be desperate to get back to it. So there really needs to be more and not just somebody taking over what I do or what Canny Sports Scotland do. We really need a big um, variety. We need a variety of different courses in Scotland. We need a variety of different type of events, you know, like just more laid back, fun events that are perhaps not timed, some that are more competitive, some that are shorter distances, you know, just focusing on a mile or 3K uh, that are like flat and fast, some that are more challenging, you know, like Rough Dugger uh, or the Canny Sports Scotland ones, they tend to be quite muddy and, uh, and like, you know, you need good navigation skills <laughs> to read the sides. So they, they are a bit more challenging, but they're quite competitive also. Um, but, you know, we could be doing with 10Ks or, you know, maybe like up to 15Ks or some on the hills and, you know, seeing different parts of our landscape here. So I think, you know, there is a big variety needed um, uh, for us in Scotland anyway. So, yeah, there's definitely room for more organisers um, because there's people out there uh, looking to do different types of events. Um, being a race organiser myself, I've had great fun doing it. It's been, um, you know, it's a great way, you know, just to get outdoors all day and, um, you know, and get that sense, sense of adventure. What I don't recommend is being a race organiser and trying to race. And when I was in my prime of my Euro and World Championship time, I was, you know, running all these races and events, doing the Canny Fit experience and training hard myself and racing. And, you know, I'd often come first or I would come second, you know, against Fiona Ramsey or uh, Louise Mitchell. And, you know, I'd be organising these events all week, all week, setting the courses, which is just is totally knackering, and then attempting to, to race as well. So I don't know where I got that energy from. I think now that I'm nearly hitting 40, <laughs> that's a definite no. So I don't recommend being a race organiser and somebody who's training for world or European championship level and racing at your own race. Choose one. Don't don't be like me and try and have it all because it's not it's not a good idea. You will eventually combust. So yes, what is out there? Obviously there's nothing because of COVID, but please remember COVID may be here forever, but a lockdown is not going to be here forever. We will, um, you know, get back to our normality. Events will get back uh, and, the, you know, the outdoors is always going to be there waiting for us and there's always going to be so many people wanting to meet up with each other and do these events and compete. Uh, so there will be there, there will be lots of options. You, and you've got, you've got Canics down south, you've got Canicross Midlands, you've got Tri-Dog, You've lots of different sled dog um, organisations down south. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. 
You have the Maverick races, which are trail races and they're uh, canny cross friendly. Um, so there's just so there's so many um, options all over the UK uh, for for people to try out. So my advice is you've got to want it to do it. If you want to go to a Euro or a World Championship level and then be prepared to sacrifice quite a lot, be prepared to you know put your all into it, um, be prepared for it to be hard work and to be and not to be always like a fun like you know camp america type thing when you go over there because it's not always like that it may be you know i could be just talking shite and it's <laughs> it has been for others but it's not all it's not always the case a lot of the time people are hiding in their vans because they're just their heads down and they're focusing on their dogs and they're focusing on them and they don't really want to mingle because the nerves are high and they just want to keep their, their you know, head in the game. Um, so, yeah, you really want, you've got to want it. You've got to really want it. And it's got to be about you and the dog and about, um, you know, you striving to, to do the best that you can. So I hope this has been of interest for those that have asked about my experience on racing. And, you know, like I said, it's just my personal experience. It's not set in stone. There'll be people with totally different experiences and zero negativity. They're probably fucking liars. Uh, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, so I hope, um, I hope, I don't completely put you off. I just want to keep everything real it is the canny fit real talk. I want to tell you the the shit bits. I want to tell you the nitty gritty, but it didn't stop me. I did it for years and I got loads out of it. Right now, it's not for me because I have other things going on in my life and that's okay. And one day I may go back to it. Who knows? And if you are a good travel buddy and you want to get back to it with me, give me a shout. Anyway, thank you for listening. And I hope um, this was of interest to you. Thanks again. Bye, guys.